All right, so uh, if you would open, I'm still old school, so open your, your Bible. You can turn them on if that's your gig. And we're in Matthew 25, the first 13 verses. And Jesus said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet their bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Hey, give me some, some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. So instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came and said, Lord, Lord. They said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Jesus, thank you for your teachings. Thank you for your parables. Thank you for the, those that were faithful in recording them so that to this day we can read them, we can meditate on them. And we thank you for Door of Hope. We thank you for our church. As we personally surrender to you, we surrender as a, as a body to you. We thank you for your provision. And we thank you that you've provided uh, your word for us. Thank you for Ian. Ask that your spirit would be upon him as he teaches and unpacks this parable for us. Thank you in your name. Amen. Thanks a lot, brother. I didn't really realize how underdressed I was until I saw you. Man. And old school. It's old school to actually have a Bible these days. I'm beyond my years. Right on. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Ian. For anybody who doesn't know me, I'm one of the preachers here. It's good to see you all. Uh, Man, um, I'm going to need y'all's prayer while while I'm up here. This this parable this morning is just, the parables are are beating me up, man. I I thought, like, oh, we'll do parables. It'll be easy. No, no, no. This parable in particular is has been giving me a lot of anxiety this, this week because it's, this, this parable is actually, some, those of you that have heard me speak before or preach before know that um, this parable speaks to the issue that's maybe the most uh, burdensome on, on my heart. Um, if there is, a, I, I would say if there's a reason why I would prefer to be a, a preacher in a church than a tile worker or a plumber or a glass worker like I used to be, it's, it's for this message right here. And I'm I'm honestly, I, I, don't, I don't ever get nervous before I preach, and this morning I'm just feeling the weight of this, because this is, this is a hard word. It's a hard word, and, uh, but we need to hear it. We need to hear it, and so the, the way that I want to approach this, this sermon, uh, or this parable today is, um, of course, always wanting to back up a few steps, and 
Uh, if, if any of you are anything like me, probably a lot of you are in, in, in the regard that you, you grew up in the church, grew up going to Sunday school, growing up maybe having your parents lead Bible studies, maybe some of you are pastor's kids, uh, just steeped in that culture, surrounded by it day in and day out. And that was certainly true for me. I was, I was raised by Christian parents. Uh, my grandparents took me in when I was two years old, and they were believers long before I showed up. So I grew up immersed in Christian culture. My, my friends were, you know, as a kid, my friends were all church friends. I went to a, a Christian school because my parents knew that I was a kid that needed a little bit more boundaries than other kids. And so all of my friends were from either my Christian school or my Christian church. None of my, none of my friends' parents uh, were doing the, like, drinking thing, the smoking thing, the cussing thing, the gambling thing, the bar scene, the pool halls, the ta- whatever. They, none of them were, were a part of that. And so I just sort of adopted this idea of, of what Christianity was. And a lot of it was just the way that it looked. A lot of it was just the do's and the don'ts, right? That was the, the first thing that, that uh, really made itself concrete in my mind was here's the things that you don't do and here's the things that you do. And I got into Awanas and, and I had that silly little blue vest and I got pins on my chest for memorizing John 3.16 and, and all that stuff. And so I was, just, I was just immersed in it. But somewhere along the line, I, I missed Jesus. And I remember this is, I remember being 13 or 14 years old and I was with my friend skateboarding in Northeast. Uh, and he was a couple years younger than I am. So he was, he was probably 10 or 11 and we, we bumped into this other kid while we were out skateboarding, and he was, he was younger than both of us. He was, I would, I would guess he was eight or nine. And I don't remember how it came up, but somehow Christianity and going to heaven and, and that conversation somehow struck up with, you know, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Should, somebody should have been taking notes, because there was a lot of wisdom getting thrown around. But I remember asking this kid, like, I, I honestly felt kind of burdened for him. Like, I, I think he shared that he had kind of a home life that was, that was rough. And, and I remember saying to him, this was, this, I remember this clear as day, I said, I said, do you believe in God? And I didn't qualify that at all. I just said, do you believe in God? And he said, I do. And I said, well, then you're a Christian. <laughs> you're going to heaven. Life here is going to be rough. But hey, man, you're going to heaven. That's something to look forward to. No idea what I was talking about. And it's because I, I'd been sort of blinded by the, the do's and the don'ts of Christianity. What does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be holding a torch? And what is that torch? And what does it look like to be a, a part of the, the bridal party that's waiting for the groom to come? It, it looks like the way that you're dressed. It looks like having a torch in your hand. It looks like being in, in the fold, being at community group, being at, uh, at Awanas. And, and I, I played guitar in the worship band. Like, I was, I was in it, you know? And I, I had, as you guys know, I had my own rebellion, and I did that for years, and that's a whole different story for a different time. But I remember coming to a really terrifying realization later on in life. Um, I was actually, I was preparing a sermon for Skate Church when I used to preach there, and I came across uh, a story in, in Luke 8. And I wasn't, even, I wasn't even paying attention to this necessarily, but I read it, and it really caught my eye. Uh, and you probably know the story. In Luke 8, Jesus saves a man. He heals a man who is possessed by multiple demons. And the story is Jesus comes up in the boat. He rolls up on shore, and this 
demon-possessed man sees Jesus from afar and comes out of the cave. This is in Luke 8, starting in verse 26. And following, in verse, so I'll start in verse 20. I'll start reading here. Now, Jesus comes up on the shore, and the man comes, comes, out, comes out on the land, and a man from the city met him, one who was possessed with demons, who had not put on any garments for a long time, and who was living in a house, not in a house, but in the tombs. And now seeing Jesus, listen to this carefully. This is crazy. Now, seeing Jesus, he cried out, and he fell before him, and he said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of him. And the spirits had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles being kept under guard. And yet breaking his bonds, he was driven by the demons into the desolate places. And Jesus said, what is your name? And this man said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And what caught my eye anew with that story, probably about circa 2014, 2015, was how terrifyingly Christian this, this demon-possessed man was behaving. He, he sort of looked the part. I mean, f- forget the, his aesthetics, forget his wild hair and the fact that he's naked and he's running around in the tombs. Look what he does. He comes out and he sees Jesus. And he recognizes who he is and he identifies him properly, which at that time in Jesus' ministry, very few people had done that. And even the people who had, there was was a few of his disciples who said things like that in in John chapter 2. But they didn't totally get it. They didn't know exactly what that meant. But this demon seems to understand what's going on here. He comes out and he sees Jesus and he says, what do do you have to do with me? the, The literal translation is, what do I unto you? We don't have anything to do with one another. And he says, Jesus, son of the most high God. This demon knows who Jesus is. And notice that he falls down before him, but falls down before Jesus and asks him for mercy. He says, I beg you, do not torment me. And he goes on later and says, Do not send us into the abyss, but send us into the pigs. And all of a sudden it just dawned, it just like was clear as day. I was like, here is a man who is full of demons, and these demons through this man's body are seeing Jesus, recognize who he is acknowledge out loud verbally that this is the Son of God come in human flesh, acknowledge that he has power, and then begs him for mercy. But this is a demon. And I was like, wait, and I was like wait, how, do, how does a demon do this? How does a demon understand this? James chapter 2, verse 19 says, and it, I mean, it almost sounds like it's sarcastic. James writes, so you believe that God is one. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe and they stutter. They, they shudder. They stutter and they shudder. They stutter while they're shuddering. I'm stuttering right now. I told you, this passage has got me all twisted up. The demons see God and they, and they it got in the flesh and they shudder. They know who he is. They're afraid of him. They have enough sense to be afraid of him. And so I remember being, however old I was in 2015, thinking, what is the difference between me and these, and these demons? What's the difference between me and, and, this, and these, these demons and, and James that he's writing about? What's the difference between me and this demoniac? They know who Jesus is. They acknowledge that he has power. But they're not submitted to him. They don't love him. They have no affection for him. They do not like him. They do not want him. But they know who he is. And they know that he has power over them. And they even beg him for mercy. And that terrified me. Because I suddenly was looking in the mirror in the wide of my own eyes going, what do you make of the person Jesus Christ? Because if it's just an intellectual ascent, the devil's got you beat. So what do you make of the person of Jesus Christ? 
And then to add to that, Jesus in his own teaching in Matthew, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, is, is getting to a point, and he, he, he lands on it real hard in 25, 1 through 13. But we sort of are catching him mid-sentence here, and we have to consider what it is that he's saying in the broader spectrum, in the bigger context. And the things that he says just leading up to this parable of the ten virgins in chapter 24 is he, is he casts woes upon woe upon woe onto the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but go home and read Matthew 23 and just listen to what Jesus says to these religious leaders. I mean, these guys were the guys. They had the dress. They had the phylactery on their forehead. They had the long tassels. Everybody greeted them in the marketplace, gave them the preferred seating at dinners and at events. And Jesus casts woe upon woe upon woe to them because he says, this is, this is why you're doing this. You're not doing it because you love God. You're not doing it because you're repentant or you're reverent to the things of God or you have affection for God. You're doing it because you're making money. You're doing it because you're getting clout. 23 verse 5, he says, warning of the Pharisees, he says, they do all of their deeds to be noticed by men for they brought in their phylacteries and they lengthened the tassels on their garments. The phylactery was essentially a little box that, that they would put on their, literally on their forehead or they would put it on their hand and there was a, a portion of Deuteronomy 6 written on a little piece of paper and it was bind the word of God on your forehead and on your hand. So they actually put the word of God in a little box on their forehead. It was a sign of I am somebody. I'm very astute in the scriptures. I'm very serious. You should get out of the way when I walk through because I am oh so holy. They love the place of honor at banquets and at the best seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi. And then starting in verse 13, down all the way to the end of the chapter, Jesus says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. He even says in verse 14 that you will receive a greater condemnation. They're taking the word of God, the law of God, and they're twisting it for their own gain. And Jesus says, be careful, you need to repent. And then he warns of the signs of the coming, that the Son of Man will return. In verses 32 and 39 of chapter 24. And then in, in verse 42, he says the same words that he says at the very end of our text today. Therefore, stay awake. He likens himself unto actually a thief. He says, I can tell you that if the master of the house knew when the thief was coming, he would have stayed up all night to make sure his house didn't get broken into. So it will be like with the Son of Man. He'll come at a time when you do not expect. It's like, wow, Jesus is actually comparing himself to a thief, showing up when you least expect him. So stay awake. Be ready. And the reason why I wanted to start there and then move forward is because what Jesus is teaching here in chapter 25 is he's not giving a warning to demon-possessed people. He's not even giving a warning to Pharisees who know that they're mistreating the word of God. He's speaking to people like us who show up at church with our torches, waiting for the kingdom to come, and he's saying, are you awake? Why are you here? What do you make of the person Jesus? And this terrifies me. And, you know, part of it is, is honestly, it's, it's, it's self-motivated. Like, I constantly go back to this. I'm like, am I, why am I here? Why am I in the pulpit? Is it, is it because I get the cool Britney Spears microphone and people are like, hey, Pastor Ian, hey, Pastor Ian. Is that why I'm here? Because then I've got to go back to chapter 23. You'll receive the greater condemnation, Ian. If you're doing this for clout, if you're doing this for any other reason than telling people the gospel, 
of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with Josh, nothing to do with any pastor or preacher or church staff. This is all about the person, Jesus. This is a parable telling people to pay attention to the person of Jesus Christ. And it's a, it's a hard and scary word, but out of love and out of an absolute desire for people to really get saved from their sin and be welcomed into the kingdom of God by the blood and the resurrected life of Jesus, he's teaching here, pay, pay attention. This is not, he's not speaking to demonically filled people. He's not speaking to manipulators and connivers and misfits. He's speaking to the professing invisible church. That's, that's who he's speaking to here. So he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And now five of them were foolish and five were prudent. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. And so just a, just a, a real quick, just basic understanding of what's going on here. The, the word there is actually better translated torches. And there's some... There's some commentators that get in a fist fight about that. It's not important, but the general idea is that it's a torch with uh, some sort of fabric wrapped around it, and whenever you would soak that fabric in oil the, and light it on fire, the oil would burn for 15 to 20 minutes, but it, when the oil ran out, the fabric itself would catch on fire, and very quickly it would smolder and go out, and then your fabric's ruined and you have to replace it. So you would have to keep renewing the oil on your torch so that the oil was burning and not the fabric itself. And so five of these 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 virgins came and they brought extra oil with them, and five did not. And these ten virgins, friends, this is us. All of them were expecting the groom. All of them were present at the party. All were dressed appropriately. They all had lamps. They were all waiting together. All of them expected to make it into the party. All of them did fall asleep, but they all then again did wake up whenever the cry went out. They knew about the wedding, they knew about the groom, they knew about the party, they knew about the groom and the bride being joined together, and they assumed that they were ready for this party. And this is, this is, this is us. This is, the, this is a parable about the time between Jesus' first coming and his second. The groom is coming, the king is coming. And the five foolish virgins did not look any different than any, of, than any of the wise ones. And I think that's something that we have to pay attention to. And this is paying, paying attention to ourselves. This is me paying attention to myself. I don't necessarily look any different than any one of you. I don't, I'm, not out, I'm not out doing anything greater or worse than, than the rest of you. No, this isn't a behavior thing. They all look the same, they dress the same, they're, they're, they're ready for a wedding party. And in, a, in this assumption of theirs that everything is going to be okay, that they're going to make it into the party as soon as the groom shows up, we're told that there was a delay. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and they began to sleep. So just, just two, two quick things about, about this verse. Um, this, is, this, is an act of, this is an act of mercy and of grace. There, we're told that there's going to be a delay, and friends, that's been a 2,000-year delay for us already. And this is a great mercy for us. Peter writes in, in his epistle, 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, Knowing, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, for all the last 2,000 years, for, since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
Has anyone ever said that to you? Christians waiting for your Savior. Sounds like Nietzsche to me. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. I'm going to jump down to verse 9. Well, verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And the Lord is not slow about his promise as some consider slowness. The Lord is not forgetting about us. He's not aloof. He's waiting. And the world can point their finger and say, you silly, boneheaded Christians. It's been 2,000 years since that Jewish guy died on a cross. Are you really still playing this worn-out song? But little do they know, it's to their benefit that this song has not come to an end yet. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and all of its works will be found out. And since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what, if, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and even hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens burning will be destroyed and the elements will be melted with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's intense. There is a delay. And when the delay is done, there will be judgment. The door will be shut, and we'll get to that in a minute. But it, if you're here this morning and you're, not a, and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, if Jesus is not your Savior, there, don't, like, don't mock the delay. This is a great act of mercy. The Lord is showing us mercy by not just coming. He desires for people to get saved. He desires for people to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. This, this delay is, is a great, great, great act of grace, a great act of mercy that the time here for this earth has not been yet rolled up like a scroll, that the burning has not yet come, the elements have not yet been destroyed. And during this delay, it says those, those they, they fell asleep. They got groggy and they fell asleep. And this is not negligence. This is not neglect. This sleep happened to the, the wise and the unwise alike. They fell asleep. And I, I, what Jesus is teaching here is that in this, in this between time, we're, we're, we get busy. We're doing what we're doing. And the danger there is that we can stop paying attention to the urgency of what we just read in 2 Peter. But it's not inherently a, 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 a bad thing. I think that there's a lot of work that needs to get done in this in-between time, and we're busy at doing it. One, one example of, of the work, uh, this is one of my personal verses as a, as, a, as a pastor. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 5, Be sober in all things, enduring hardship, do the work of, a, of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. In the, in the delay time, that's, that's my verse. It's okay to be busy. It's okay to get stuff done. We've got a lot of stuff to get done. We've got to preach the gospel to every creature, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. There's work to do. This, this sleep in and of itself is not negligence, but it is a teaching that time will pass and we can get caught up in our own thing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? That, couldn't, that can be good, honest, solid work where we lay our head down at the end of the day and we go to sleep. But the time will come 
for a cry. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 of this event. Prophetically, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, or with a cry, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And listen to this. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord, comfort one another with these words. There will be a shout. I mean, is that not a heartwarming verse? We're going to go up into the clouds to be with each other and to be with the Lord in the air. And Paul, it's a command. Paul says, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. Talk to one another. John C. and I went on a run yesterday. We're following in the footsteps of Greg McAvoy, which is going <sighs> to, my heart rate. We ran the stairs at Tabor. I mean, talk about, like, I thought that the kingdom was coming. So we're running, we're running the stairs at Tabor, but we started talking about it, which is a bad idea when you're running stairs at Tabor, but we, we talked about this, and we were, together for, we were together talking about this sermon for an hour or more. Comfort one another with these words. Talk to one another about what's happening in Matthew chapter 5. This isn't like, what we need is not going to necessarily take place in a 45-minute sermon, y'all. You gotta, you gotta go home with this. You gotta go to your Bible studies and your community groups, and you gotta show up at 21 days of prayer and work through this stuff. Talk about this stuff. Grapple with this stuff. If you have questions, come and ask. Please do not keep your mouth shut. Come and ask. We're all in this together. Come and ask about the Lord. If you, if you suspect that maybe I'm in, I'm in the church and I don't really know why like I was, y'all gotta, y'all gotta talk about it. Work it out. There is comfort to be had. The, the, the day that the cry is, is let out. After that run yesterday, John C. and I just, we, we stood at the bottom of the table and we looked out over southeast and, and just talked about that, that cry. You know, that, that Jesus, Jesus is real and he's out there and it's so easy to fall asleep with our work and get, and get tunnel vision and forget about the fact that the sky is going to erupt. Jesus is going to come back. He says, as, 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 the, as the lightning strikes from the east to the west, so will this coming of the Son of Man be. It's gonna be awesome. And for those of us who are born again, those of us who are saved, it will be the greatest, greatest thing. And the invitation is open. John 3.16 says, whosoever. Are you struggling with an addiction? Whosoever. Are you a, a proud atheist? Whosoever. You have doubts? Whosoever. Jesus' arms are open to everyone. Whosoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, this next, this next verse, I think, can be kind of a reaction that we have. The cry went out, there's a voice, there's, it's like, okay, time's up, it's time to go. And in verse 7, then all those, all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And I, I, I think that what we can do is, is we, we hear sermons like this, we, we hear people preaching on maybe, may, maybe any number of issues in the church and we think, okay, I'm going to get myself trimmed up, I'm going I'm to get myself cleaned up, I'm going to cut off all the excess, which is actually what's being referred to here, the, the rag wrapped around the, the torch stick they would trim the edges so that there wasn't any long pieces hanging down, so they would trim up any of the excess fabric that didn't need to be there that would get in the way. And I think that that can be our immediate response is, okay, I don't have any oil, but I'm gonna, tr- I'm gonna clean myself up. 
which in this context doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do you any good to, to stop, to get, I don't know, adopt some religion of prohibition and, and start some re- religion of, of discipline and act like that's going to do you some good. There's nothing that we can do to clean ourselves up enough. God is too righteous. He is too perfect. His standard is too high. We cannot do it. This is why we need Jesus. What need, all the trimming that needs to be done is done. Jesus did it. It was done in him. He came and lived perfectly. He came and he died. His resurrection was proof that he was an approved sacrifice, that he was approved for the sins of all the world. And that anyone who puts their trust in their life in that name gets that resurrected life. Proof that death is defeated, proof that God is, is bigger and stronger and better. The word says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That is yours. It's not a behavior thing. It's not a get trimmed up thing. Jesus will take you as you are. God the Spirit comes alive inside of your heart and any trimming that needs to be done, he will convict you of. But it's after the fact. First, come to Jesus. The invitation is wide open. Come to Jesus. The standard, the work, the righteousness, he did that. It's done. So just come. Come before the door closes. And so the foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered saying, no, there will not be enough for us and for, your, and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. This is not a parable about sharing. <laughs> in, a, in, a different, in a different sermon, a different context, we should give our oil to somebody who wants to get into a wedding party. But this is about being ready for the kingdom of God. And what, what is being communicated here is that your parents cannot save you. Your pastor, I cannot save you. I don't have the oil. I cannot give you redeemed life. I cannot give you the life that only Jesus has to give. And I think that we get blinded to that. I, I didn't, I wouldn't, I don't think I've ever actually articulated this. I don't, I don't think I had the vocabulary for it at the time, but there was definitely a time in my life where I assumed that there was oil in my lamp because my dad taught a college Bible study. My mom was in the nursery. She was busy at church doing all sorts of stuff. We were there every Sunday. I got asked to play guitar on the worship team, which they soon asked me not to do that anymore. I thought I was in. Just, just cause, and you know what? This actually happened one time. There, so I, I've mentioned skate church before. It, this, so there's the skate church that Paul Anderson runs. That's the big one. I didn't go to that one growing up very often. There was another one that started uh, at that at the church where I was going to growing up. And I remember the guy who started skate church asked me one time if I would be one of the Bible study leaders, and because he just assumed that because I was Ian, John and Marilyn's kid, that I was qualified and ready to do so, or even interested in doing something like that. And I remember being flattered. I was like, oh, sick, I could be a leader in something. But he's like, but I don't want to see, it was an outreach. So he's like, I don't want to see you smoking with the crew. I don't want to see you ever drinking with the crew. I don't want you going out with the crew. I don't want to hear you talking like they do. And I was like, bummer. And I actually played both sides of the field. I'd sit there with my Bible and act all astute. And then as soon, there was actually a corner we called Smoker's Corner. And as soon as Virgil's back was turned, I was back there toking it up with all the rest of the crew. Because I had no idea. I just assumed. I wasn't actually convicted of anything. I wasn't changed. I didn't know Jesus. I just was in this environment where I was like, I have oil. The, the guy that started Skate Church even thinks I have oil. That's so scary to me. 
He gave me a position that I should not have had because he just assumed that I was ready because I was in the club, you know? I was John and Marilyn's kid. I was in the band, whatever. Being a part of the band, being, being the guy that Virgil was like, hey, kid, you got that. That didn't, act, that didn't save me. Only Jesus Christ can save. There is no other name under heaven by which men and women must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father. There is no way into the, into the, into the, the wedding feast. There is no way into heaven except through him. Only he alone is qualified to give us that life. Only he alone ever lived that life, sinless in word, thought, and deed. I cannot give you my oil. You guys can't give each other oil. You know, we could probably put our torches together and, like, help keep each other fired up, but none of us can save anybody. That's Jesus. But again, Jesus' arms are wide open. Psalm 49.7 says, Truly no man can redeem his brother. He cannot give to God a ransom for him. And may, maybe just to hammer on that note a little bit more, the, the other thing that I did as I got older was I sort of, I just, I trusted in a deathbed confession. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know the parable of the ten virgins. I didn't know about Second Peter. I didn't know that just like that, Jesus could just come back. Somehow I missed that part of the, of, of the Bible study, probably because I was smoking weed with Jacob on the smoker's corner. But I had no idea, and I thought, this was really what I thought, and I think a lot of people think this way. I think a lot of people think this way. Somebody quote that. I think that we kind of assume, I'm going to just be wild and crazy and young. I'm going to ignore Jesus. Maybe you're, maybe you're not going to be wild and crazy and young. Maybe you're going to be subdued and cool and collected and pay your taxes and draw within the colors. Maybe you're not a wild child like I was, but you ignore Jesus Christ. I'm going to ignore Jesus. I'm not going to get real about heaven and hell. That's kind of a downer. I don't want to talk about it. It's too serious. I'm going to live, love, and laugh. And then maybe one day, whenever I feel like I'm old enough to really start considering the serious stuff, I'll sit down on my couch with my corn pipe, and I'll actually like really start pondering this. Friends, do not count on that. Jesus is going to come back. Yes. Probably you're going to die first. And that could happen at any moment. And I'm not trying to twist any arms here, but... These, these are lessons that I learned coming up as a youngster. My, one of my best friends in high school, I think I've shared this before, one of my best friends in high school's sister was a couple years older than us. Older than us. She went to college, got a degree, left Portland, was on her way. It was her very first big job. She was on her way to get her, her, her first job in Texas. She was 22, 23 years old, young, and her, I mean, a whole life ahead of her. She had just gotten her degree. She was stoked. Her mom and dad kissed her, said, call us when you get there, and she died on the way. She went head-on collision with an 18-wheeler. Do not count on the assumption. Don't be so arrogant as to think, well, I'm just going to live until I feel like I can do this on my own terms. Friends, we never know when this could happen. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and God the Spirit is poking you in the heart and you're annoyed right now and you don't like me, pay attention to that. Today is the day of salvation. Put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. This life is over so quick and eternity is eternity. Go home and think about eternity. Jesus has his arms open to you. Put your faith, put your trust, and your hope in him. Say yes to him. And everything else will follow. The behavior, it will follow. 
God the Spirit will be very consistent in tuning us up. Don't worry about that right now. Just what do you make of Jesus? And while they were going away to go buy some of the ointment, some of the oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. That's going to be the greatest thing ever, or it's going to be the most terrifying thing ever. And I, I can't say it any more calm and kindly than that. It's going to be the greatest thing ever, or it's going to be the most terrifying thing ever. Because when the door is shut, it is, it is shut forever. In Luke chapter 12, this is one of the sweetest verses, Luke 12, 32, Jesus says to the people who he's, who he's teaching and discipling, he says, fear not. Imagine that. In today's world, Jesus still says, fear not. Baby food shortage, Ukraine, World War III still, resurgence in COVID, Jesus says, fear not. Why? Luke 12, 32, he says, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you, do you ever stop and think about that? The God of the universe who holds the sun and the planets and the stars in place is stoked to give you the kingdom of God. He's stoked to have you in. He's so stoked on it that at great cost, he sent his son to die so that all of this business of righteousness could be done with because it needs to be. Justice needs to be had and it fell on Jesus. We are under his covering when we are his children, when we say, yes, you are my Lord and King, I am yours, you are mine, I want it, I want it. Not when we're just playing in the band, acting the part. If you're playing in the band, acting in the part, Jesus says, stay awake. Do you, do you realize that? The door will be shut. I had, a, I had a friend ask me a number of years ago, and I, and I, I think that she was asking with ulterior motives. Um, she said to me, Ian, whenever, whenever we die, is there, is, there a, is there a place in the Bible that says that when we die, that's it? Or do we get out of this life and our souls go to the Lord and he says, this is your last chance. Do you want to come into the kingdom or not? And I had to tell her, I had to tell her that's, not, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches the opposite. Yes, there is, there is a Bible verse. It's Hebrews 9.27. And Hebrews 9 is comparing Jesus as the ultimate high priest and the ultimate sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the high priest would go into the temple and would kill an animal again and again and again and again and again and again, daily, every day, all day, all year, every day, all the time. It was a bloody business. Because animals couldn't actually take away sins. The shedding of blood was not, for an, of an animal was not enough. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. And the only person who fits the bill is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, come to seek and to save. And so he is the ultimate high priest, and he's also the ultimate sacrifice. He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he had to die. And he only had to die once. Likewise, like Jesus only had to die once, and raised from the dead once, Hebrews 9.27 says, Inasmuch as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation. That'll be it. When the door is shut, like Noah's Ark, it's shut. And I know that that's intense. I know that it's scary, and I have to let that tension ride because this is what the Bible says. 
Jesus says here in his parable, verse 10, the door was shut. If you want to talk about Matthew 25, 10, we can talk about it, but I'm not, I'm not changing my mind. Jesus didn't change his. That's what he said. But it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So for goodness sakes, whatever is holding you back, whatever doubts, whatever mental gymnastics you're trying to get through, just like come to Jesus. He's so good. He's perfect. And he will put up with you forever. He loves you. I shouldn't even say that as a joke. I mean, he, he, he loves you. He loves you. God loves you. Are you an orphan? Me too. God loves you. Are you an addict? Are you mad? God loves you. Do you distrust relationships? Was your own earthly father a jerk? Your earthly mother a jerk? I get all of it. It's not a reason to avoid Jesus. The God of the universe loves you. Hear me say that. I love you. I want you to know that the God of the universe loves you far more than I ever could. And Jesus gives warning here. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and there will come a time when the door, the door is shut. And later the other virgins who had gone to buy oil came and said, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know the day or the hour. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 7. He says, many, he says, many, many will come to me and say, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out demons and do many signs and wonders in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's terrifying. He doesn't, he doesn't not know you because you didn't go to church every Sunday or because you never got all of your little problems worked out, whatever your problems might be, personal, financial, familial. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's a personal, internal relationship. I did not want to say this from the pulpit because I kind of feel weird about it, but the time has come. My wife is pregnant. We're expecting our first, and I'm stoked about it. Thank you. And, but the reason why I bring it up is because I'm developing those, par those parental instincts. I'm starting, to, like, I'm starting to read the Bible in a different way. I'm starting to look at traffic a different way. You know? People who are wearing hoodies, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm suspect of people in a way that I used to not because I have this little life that I know that I'm going to be responsible for. Good grief, Lord Jesus, help. I, and that kid, it, that, kid could that kid could start smoking Marlboros, get into drag racing and NASCAR, and I would love that kid. I would love them. I don't care what that kid does. I don't care. I, my, I, was, a, I was such a pain in my mother's neck, and never once was she like, you clean this up, and then, and then, we can, we, then you can come back into the house. She never did that. And if that happened to you, I'm sorry. That's not God. You are, you are his children. And he's saying, come, come. We'll worry about the bottle or the needle or the gossip or whatever later, but come, come. Like my, my, my child who will be here the first week of October, <laughs> come. I don't care if you poop on me. I don't care if you throw up on me. Come. We're messy, and God knows that. 
From the time that we're infants until the day they lay us in the tomb, we're messy. And God is saying, come, children, come. Please come. Jesus was sent to the cross because the Lord takes this very seriously. The Father takes this very seriously. He loves you. He loves you. But when the door is shut, it will be shut. Have a relationship with Jesus. It's the kind of relationship that my child and I are going to have. If you're a parent here, if you're a kid here, you know what that's like. Even if, even if there's a bad relationship between you and your parent, you know that there's a connectivity there that can never go away. They're your parent. God is the best father. He is what fatherhood, he is what parenthood is supposed to look like. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you repent of your sins, your autonomy, you're, you're, you're doing things your own way, and you say, Jesus, I see the cross, I understand it, I get it, thank you, I need a savior, I need help, please save me, and it's done forever. But it's gotta be here. The function, the work, the holding of the torches, it's not it, it's gotta be here. And you cannot borrow my oil, I cannot borrow yours. I cannot be saved through you in Jesus. That's not the way that it works. We have to go to Jesus himself. Friends, go to Jesus. With the last few minutes that I have, verse 13 says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know the day or the hour. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says it like this. Paul, Paul writes these words. It's what I've already said, but here's a Bible verse to add to it. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, Test yourselves to see that you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize about, this, about yourselves that Jesus is in you unless you fail the test? Test yourselves. I can't, I cannot do this. I'll talk with you about it for as long as you need to. The staff, your friends, your Bible study partners, your community group leaders, whoever else, this is what the church does. But what it, what it boils down to is what do you make of Jesus? Do you, do, do you love him? Do you have affection for him? We'll never love him perfectly. It's not about being perfect. Jesus was perfect so we don't have to be. But do you love him? Do you desire to be more like him? That's a, that's a relationship. Do you, do you feel him in your heart? Do you feel him when you read the scriptures? Is your heart being changed by his spirit? This is the signs of a relationship. This is the signs that you've been born again. The most common, I'll end on this note, I think that the, the easiest way to tell that Jesus has actually come alive inside of us again through his spirit and that we are born again is that the world doesn't quite feel like home. Galatians 5.17 says that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are opposed to one another. Now, I, I sin. I still think things I shouldn't think. I say things I shouldn't say. I've got bad attitude sometimes. I'm even more heightenedly aware of it because I'm going to be raising a kid. I'm like, man, my wife's like, if our kid ever says that, I know, I know. I know. But more, more than my wife, I, I, I know it in my heart. If I'm just a creature that, that is a, a, a complex tadpole that over the, the billions of years of evolution have just become a human being, I've got no reason to care. I can treat you like dirt and gossip about you and malign you. Who cares? Dog eat dog, bro. But because Jesus is alive inside of me, whenever I slip into those moments, I feel it. I feel Jesus saying, son, 
That is not the way that a person is supposed to be. I know I created you. And I, I believe that and I trust that the way that he has for us to live is the right way and I actually want to live that way. Do you want Jesus? Do you want to want Jesus? That's a sign of the Spirit working in your heart. Do not fight it. You do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch. Stay awake. Be alert. Friends, the Lord loves you. Jesus' arms are wide open, so come. Come. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was raised for your justification. The work is done. All you have to do is just say yes, mean it, and follow Jesus. And everything you need to know is right here. Jesus has accomplished everything. It is done. He's that good. He is that complex. He is that thorough. He is that authoritarian. He is that powerful. It's done. Just come. The door is not yet shut. Come. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Jesus, I have never felt more insufficient to deliver a message than I do today, right now. I cannot convince anyone in this room of anything. Lord, I'm just a... I'm a, I'm a broken vessel. I leak like a sieve. I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect by a long shot. So, God, by the power of your spirit, convict hearts this morning. I pray that you, that you would communicate to people that they are loved, that you so loved the world that you gave your son an epic epic act of love. You didn't just have sentiment, you actually did something. You did something great. And Jesus came and died for our sins and rose for our justification and life is available only in him. Access to you is available only through him. So please communicate this to our hearts today. Help us who are, who are your children to grow and to be encouraged, to be comforted by the verse. We're going to be in the sky, we're going to be in the air with you and with each other. That is the hope that we have ahead of us, no matter what happens here on earth. And if there are those in this, this room this morning who are questioning or who are doubting or who are hard, Lord, draw them. Draw them to prayer. Draw them to repentance. Even if they don't completely understand with their mind what is going on, give them the boldness to come and ask. We love you, Jesus. We trust you with all things. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to dooroftheopedx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.